Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined by a just finished eating Joel Rawlings. Joel, he's into fasting, so I think we time the podcast window every week for when you go to break your fast. 16th hour. Joel. That's exactly right. So I finish. <laughs> I got 16 hours. It's 10 o'clock my time. Yep, that's right. So that's that's what happens right before we start filming. Every time, Joel is just furiously stuffing yeah. his face with food, like right before, because that's that's how you prepare for it. Well, it's, it's the midlife crisis that's... of former swim coaches. It's not like we can run out and afford a convertible Ferraris and uh, hair transplants and things like that. Yeah. We have to figure out something else that our midlife crisis will be. And so food consumption is the one thing I can control, I guess. So, yeah, that's my midlife yeah. crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, let's get... Let's take skipping breakfast and rebrand it yes. as like a really like giant concept, intermittent fasting. There you go. Yeah. I think that's yeah. great. Um, we've got other moral and ethical dilemmas that are in the swimming world to discuss today, Joel. Uh, two things we want to talk about as the transfer portals close, because um, that's a thing that happens now. We want to take a look back. I think uh, I get a lot of people asking me about the transfer portal and I get a lot of opinions on the transfer portal. So we're going to give the people what they want. We're going to talk a little bit about the transfer portal, um, less from a, you know, necessarily uh, practical structural sense, but more, you know, what are the, what are the moral and ethical considerations of this sort of change in the landscape? And, and even the, they're tweaking it as they go. Um, and and then I want to talk about this world record swim, um, or maybe not talk about this world record swim that came out of Russia recently. Maybe more the context of this world record swim that came out of Russia, because I think there's definitely some stuff there as well. How's that? That's sound? great. All right, let's get right into it with the with the transfer portal. So the big change this year was that they gave a limited window for people to jump in. Um, so it was the sixty. I believe it was the sixty days. Uh, following the NCA championships or like the, the, the invite day for NCAA championships, you know, like what sort of, it's sort of like the postseason. you get 60 days of postseason, um, regular season okay. to enter the portal for the upcoming year. Um, and it's been wild. I think as this has grown, you know, like if you just sort of follow the headlines on it, this is the, this is what I get the most feedback on. People will be like, oh my gosh, why are so many people in the portal from Florida? Or like, why are you, you said like Alabama's going wild in the portal. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There's just like some instability in it. So I guess that's where I want to start. Um, what, what do you think of this change? Um, maybe not the specific change to the postseason. Although you're welcome to comment on that as well, but <clears throat> what's your general opinion on the transfer portal? I I'm, hundred percent for it. Um, and I, what I always try to do those, I always, you know, I always do the initial assumption that I'm wrong. And so I try to understand what, what are the, what are the counter arguments to, to mine? And, and I, I, the ones I always hear are the, you know, the kids have to learn, stick it, blah, blah, stick to itiveness or whatever it is that, to get through hard times, right. you know, the grit grindstone, whatever other analogies people want to throw at you. And, and I love also when they, they throw out the iron, you know, the Iron Man argument of, hey, this is uh, this is the time that I, I had adversity. I overcome 
overcame this, and therefore everyone else is able to do the same. And um, I, I just I've, I've talked to friends who've always thought that you know swimming is a nice component of college, and you should be choosing the university based on this is going to be the, your, your opportunity getting a, a good job or continue on your education in graduate school or, or doctoral studies, whatever it is. And swimming is an aspect of that. So you choose your school first and foremost and, and not there for swimming as, as much. And that's a secondary thing. And so I think um, when I look at this, you know, there's the, the decision time that kids have to make you know, look at especially uh, women swimming. I mean, when their seasons um, end as far as like high school season, not that that's what gets you into college, but that's kind of what they base a lot of, um, you know, the, t the windows when coaches can start to contact you, coaches can start to recruit you, they can offer you scholarships. That window, you're, you're pretty young. And right. again, with, with, with if you're a head coach at a large organization, and we'll call it like a Fortune 500 comfort. You're not the you're not the guy making all the calls. One of the you know my managers underneath you is making a call. You know, and so it's the kind of the same thing when you're when you're recruiting. It's like the head coach isn't recruiting as much. You know, it's a lot of times assistant. The assistants are the ones who are the most transient in that. You know, they're the ones who are going to go somewhere else. And especially like right. the way they have segmented out groups now. You know, you're a sprint coach, you're a distance coach, you're an IM group. You're going to be in this group, and so you have a, a person. You know, obviously going and making a decision when they're young, they're going in a decision based sometimes on, you know, that scholarship or where they're falling within the university as far as like on the, um, on a relay, you're going to get relay opportunities, you're going to get this, you're going to work with this coach and all these things change and like, well, now you're just supposed to gut it out and that doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think with, uh, I, th I just think that it, it provides a lot of opportunities for uh, the athletes to have more empowerment as far as being able to do what they want with their career. And it also makes the coaches have to kind of keep on recruiting the athlete. And, and the, my, my final point, and then, you know, obviously counterpoint all you want, the idea is that, uh, um, that the student athlete has that four-year window of their end of their career. And this is something they've been looking to for a long time. And you come into your first year. Now the first year is gone. And if it wasn't what you wanted it to be, you've got three more years. It's three seasons left and that's it. And so I, I think the time is, is ticking hard for those athletes and the athletes that, that really hear that clock the loudest are the ones who are gonna be like, I, I've got to jump. I, I've got to leave, or at least I've got to put my foot in the water a little bit and see if there are some other opportunities for me. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think I understand some of the frustration with this. Um, and I want to try to explain my view of where some of that frustration is coming from. First, I just think anytime something changes, people are not fans. Like nobody really likes change that much. And this has been a really big change to the college sports landscape. It's been a really big change to the swimming landscape. I mean, um, my experience in Division One college athletics becomes more ancient uh, every, every every minute. Day. Yeah, um, it, it changes minute, all right? the time, yeah. It, yeah, 10 years ago, when I was a last an NCAA coach, um, there was very little activity in terms of transfers because it was really, really hard to transfer. And I, I talked to a, um, actually talked to a kid while I was in Minnesota last week who's in the transfer mm -hmm. portal. And... So the reason I bring up change is because 
you know, when, when change comes around, we can all get real upset about the changes are here. A lot of people complaining about NIL as well. Like people have such a pessimistic attitude about the NIL. And I think a lot of that has to do with it being new. I know, I, I know there are legitimate concerns about it, but I, I just think, you know, part of it is just up to the change, but just, let's just imagine going back because when I talk to this athlete and you know, is if you're in college right now, you don't have any conception of what life was like before the transfer yeah. portal. And I was saying like, she was somebody that swam for a year, was really unhappy where she was. And I was explaining to her, I said like, you know, when I was a college coach, your coach could have been really vindictive and made it almost impossible for you to transfer. And she was like, what? Oh yeah. That was the old system. I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that was the system. Like it was, it was wild, right? You know, like there were all sorts of barriers that you could put up um, on a 19 year old kid, just like deciding where they want to go to college right. and, and participate in sports. The part of it where I have empathy for, especially some coaches is, you know, I think that they've just had such a crazy workload drop dumped right. on them in terms of recruiting, like first with the recruiting calendar expanding basically to another year so that they're recruiting twice as many kids at any given time. And then you have this transfer thing, you know, which is now, I don't know, 10, 20 times the number of athletes. So you, you have to manage the portal. So really like recruiting has almost become three X what right. it used to be. And what it used to be was a lot of the job. Um, and so like nothing else in their life has kept up with, right? It's not like the schools are paying them more. Um, in fact, like I think on a cost of uh, living basis, the coaches are getting paid less than ever. And yet their job, this important part of the job. So like I do, I do bristle a little bit on their behalf when I hear you say like, oh, you got to keep recruiting them. I'm like, they've got to keep recruiting all the kids on their team. And then three times the number of kids outside the team. Now that said, mm -hmm. you are right that if you can create the kind of environment on your team that, you know, people don't want to enter the portal, then yeah, you can, you can, uh, you know, like you can do less work on this front, right? You don't need to be active in recruiting in the portal. Um, especially if you're doing a good job retaining the people that you're recruiting in the first place. Um, and, you know, so I think that, you know, sometimes everybody's looking at this environment and there's such a volume, they per their perception is there's such a volume to do in recruiting that they don't think about the quality of what they're doing. They don't think about like, we've got, less less than like we're going to assume this level of attrition so we got to bring in 20 kids a year you know um instead of like how can we be really sure on the people we're recruiting and do a better job filtering up front like i, I saw a recruiting presentation this is the last point i'll make i saw a recruiting presentation from a division one college swim coach uh recently and it was really good information. The quality of information was right on point with was, was speaking to high school coaches, right on point with all of what he was describing. 
you know, in terms of the process and the factors in it. But when I got to the end of it, I raised my hand and I said, like, can you give people here in the idea in the room, like an idea, what kid really has a good experience at your school? And I got a complete non-answer to that question. And I think that is the piece that people are not thinking about in this recruiting process. They're just going, you know, like, let's get the fastest right. kids with the fastest times. And they're not thinking about like, who's going to be like, I, this was a big deal for me back in the day at Georgia tech. I knew if I recruited somebody who wanted to major in poetry, they were going to hate Georgia tech. They were going to mm -hmm. hate it. Mm -hmm. So I could find the fastest kid in the right. country. And if I, if I somehow convinced them, you know, horse traded them, into coming to Georgia Tech. When they got there, they'd go, well, this is not what I thought I was getting at all. This is terrible. Right. And I can't believe I have to do this for four years. But there was another kind of kid who, you know, I, there's no way I could even capture for them how much they were going to like right. it and how right a fit it was going to be for them. And I think that is something that is, I see as often missing in the recruiting process. And that's fueling a lot of this. That's a great point. I think, um, I remember too, when I was recruiting for, for division one schools, the ones that I always uh, felt the worst about losing to another school were the ones that I knew were going to be a great fit for the university and the team that we had. And I thought we we're going to add a lot to that. And I think uh, it, exactly your point to kind of summarize that quality over quantity idea is, is that's kind of ends up having to be the way to save ourselves, ourselves, not our, us being college coaches, the, the Royal, we, the Royal us kind of a thing where um, exactly you've got, there's so many layers to a university, to making a person happy. I mean, obviously the university you're great. Maybe the town's horrible. Maybe the internship opportunities are terrible. Or like you were saying, you have an engineering school, poetry majors generally just, it's not going to be a great match. And I think sometimes it is, we get caught up in the time and the number of whatever they can swim. And we're like, this is what we need for this relay. And we have to kind of, you know, do the Jerry Maguire of, you know, less is more, what's best for the client, less best for the swimmer kind of thing, and what's best for that human being moving forward. That's kind of what I enjoyed about Division Three. is I felt a little bit more like that because a big part of how I was going to be viewed for, uh, for, for success rate was my retention rate. Do I have people who are going to make it for four years? Also, I, I felt in, in Division III, there was, it was smaller schools. If you have one person on your team that's unhappy, I mean, it, it's um, the, whole, the whole group, you know, they're, whoever they're training with, it's going to bring three, four people down with you. So if, if you have a bunch of people that enjoy where they're at and enjoy what they're doing, it's, you know, it, it makes everything so much easier. And so we went out of our way. We'd look through Twitter accounts. We'd go through Facebook. We'd make sure, like, you know, is there anything that's going to come back in the end where we're going to be like, geez, I don't know if this person's going to want to be here and, and trying to lay that out. But you're right. It is you, you have so much, so much volume, you know, you're, 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 it's like, you know, it's like you have so many people coming in and out the door and you're, you're trying to get this scheduled, that scheduled, that scheduled, that to really look at that individual re recruit is really hard to again to make that mesh and, and make that fit. Cause anyone can love a university when it's like homecoming weekend, everything's going great. You know, it's a beautiful fall day. Every college campus looks pretty amazing at that point. And, and so we have that regard. I think that's an excellent point as far as like basically coaches having to kind of cut back a little bit and kind of looking more at, at the human like that. But it's hard to do that because, again, there's so many people you're recruiting at all times. I think the second part that we brushed through a little bit was the idea that a lot of these um, 
a lot of these arguments that people have as far as like when you say moral or ethical, it's like it's because we're, they're all founded in our own experiences. Like, like you said, my thought on, on transfers, I'm all for, for creating that opening to the portal because I saw too many times student athletes that wanted to transfer come to our school. They were like, oh, this is going to be a good fit. And their coach like, we're not letting them go. We're, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to at least make them sit for a year. And, and just watching how yeah. that would affect some students, that's still in my mind. And so that's why I'm thinking more for the student athlete versus with the work I had to do on, on the recruiting end. Um, but I, I think one thing that we can also take away is anytime you're looking at these transfer portals, if you see one or two people, of, of course, you know, of course you're going to. There's going to be there's going to be at least that many unhappy on. And, any yeah, team, and, and no again, it's, it's a snapshot. It is like that moment of time that student athlete was unhappy, hit click, and then they can be the happiest person. Two minutes later, they're still in the transfer portal. However, right. when you see eight or five or six or a whole group, and you're like, if you really want to do the deep dive, like everyone in the sprint group or everyone in the distance group or everyone on it's a female or everyone that's a male is leaving this program, then obviously that, that's a warning sign for sure. And I think that's, that's one of the aspects you can kind of look at this is, is when you're starting to, as a student athlete, look at universities, I'm sure right away they're going to look at the transfer portal and be like, how many people are, are leaving and why? And that's why I used to, when I used to advise people as far as looking at universities, look at how many people are seniors, how many, you know, look back four years, were they all freshmen? Where, where, where are all these swimmers coming from? Are they staying in the program? Are there people with similar majors? Um, because like, again, like a nursing program, engineering program, maybe they're two years and they're done because the, the, the workload changes so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, to go back to the Georgia tech example, I always looked at it as let's find the fastest kids that want to study math, right. science, or engineering, and let's build the way we train them around kids that major in those things. So like we actually changed the practice schedule yeah to factor in that kids were going to be engineering majors and they were going to have a different, you know, they were going to have stuff going on in the afternoons when we might normally right, practice. Right. We had practice in the middle of the day a couple of times. Like, you know, just figure out a way to make it work at your place. Um, well, here's a big question I have for you, Joel, because this is really, you know, we can focus on transfer portal. You make a good point about division one versus any other division. I really wonder <laughs> And I'm, I'm, I'm terrified to ask this question, which means you're even more terrified oh, no. for me to ask it. But it's like, I wonder at the division three, sorry, at the division one level. And I, I want to ask this question and let me, let me wind up to it a long uh -oh. time because I'm just going to do one of my super long windups. No, because the, when I ask this question, I, I want to make sure that people understand, like, I'm not putting the blame on division one swim coaches. I don't want them to feel shame about this. I don't think they should feel embarrassed or they should feel attacked or that this, like, this is me getting on a podcast, um, telling them they're terrible. You know, I, I just wonder if the culture overall in division one sports, is it really like, is there really anywhere that's like a really positive environment for kids, you know, or is the nature of that sort of cutthroat level of competition such that, you know, you can't, you can't, you're swimming upstream if you're trying to create just a, like a real positive, um, good, like experience versus just trying to 
you know, squeeze out a few more points at the Big Ten championships mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I, I, I just, I really, I really worry because, you know, I had somebody, for instance, you, we, we talked about, I talked to another um, person that uh, was going to go swim at one of these programs that has a lot of people mm-hmm. in the portal. And they were saying like, well, what should I do if I don't like it when I get there? And I go, yeah, I don't know where to tell you to go where I, where I can say, oh, it's going to be so much better here. Everybody loves going here. You know, this coach, um, the way that program runs, everybody's just having a good time. Like I, I've kind of, I'm having a crisis in terms of knowing, um, and maybe it's my own lack of exposure to some of these places, but I'm have a crisis of knowing, but then when I look down in divisions, you know, even though I have less exposure to division two and division three, I start to just find myself more confident that there's like a, going to be a better experience. The same place that I saw the division one coach, there was a division two coach presenting the next day and just hearing about his program. I was like, I would love, I would love for my own kid to swim in that yeah. mm-hmm. program. And I'm like, that dissonance, I'm dealing with that a little bit. And I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I guess I just, just posing the question. What do you think? Yeah, I think, again, this becomes one of those where the, the people are going to argue against that. Well, I, I had a great experience. My swimmer had a great experience. It's like, so let's see, you're 6'5", blonde hair, blue-eyed, 3% body fat Olympian, had a great experience. Huh, that's strange. I'm surprised. You know, versus yeah. how about the kid over in lane eight? You know, uh, the, the, the kid lane eight that's, you know, maybe just having a graduate assistant with a watch over him. Or, again, the experience can change. It's crazy how swimming is. It can it can change just based on how fast you're going, you know. And it looks just the the end is going to justify all the means. All the mornings worth it. I dropped three seconds. This was great. I don't care how much they yelled at me. They were just trying to get the best out of me. Versus bad meat. They yelled at me all the time. They broke my spirit. They made me hate my life. You know. Again, it's just it can all turn on a dime based on what lane you're in. You know, uh, what relay yeah. you're on. All those things that, that come into it, and so the what assistant coach is there that year and managing you know you on a day to day basis, and then they're gone the next year. Right. And- I, I took a, a, a basically like a I, I had a lot of social like a sports psychology and social aspects of sport things, and this is this was back in the '90s, so maybe this data is off. But what what came out of like one of these studies was that assistant coaches always seem to resonate the most with kind of the B relay kind of person, the backup tight end, the whatever it is, because again, the head coach, you're dealing with the people that are going to nationals doing X, Y, and Z. And that's where their attention is. The assistants were like, Hey, you know, you're doing great. Just keep it up. You know, knows the grindstone, blah, blah, blah. Someday your time will come. You'll show everybody. And so the, the second tier always grab, you know, gravitated more towards the assistant. Again, that could change. And that was a general study as a meta analysis. So it's obviously each program is going to be different. But exactly, all of a sudden the assistant leaves and there's a strong connection. You know, going back to the, how we started the topic with Alabama, you know, the, the one coach who's leaving now who'd been there a long time, you know, right away went to the, uh, the troll board on swim. So I haven't started looking through and there's a lot that were thanking him for coaching him. So obviously these were genuine athletes that they weren't, it wasn't like the agenda based a lot of times, like, but this is more like I, I said, right. they sincerely wanted to send a thanks to that coach and make it public. And, and that was nice. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's obvious that that happens um, and that people do touch them. And you're like, 
I don't feel that connection. And like I said earlier, you've got a four-year window. Let's say you're a sophomore. You've swam for this person for two years. And now you're like, well, do I give you know, this coach an opportunity? That's one more year. Now all of a sudden I'm a senior. I'm supposed to go find a new school as a senior. I'm, I'm going to graduate. I've got internships lined up and things like that. So I think sometimes when we look at swimming, we, we start thinking again just from our own selves. Like, well, I was happy here. I got it out. And again, you've got so many decisions in a sense to make in that freshman year. Of, you know, you're, this is the first time away. You're in a dorm. You're doing all these things that by the time you kind of stop and look around, it's already December, January, February. The season's over. One season done. Three to go. And now you're like, am I happy not? Yeah. Now sophomore year, okay, give it one more chance. Now sophomore year is done. Now you've got two years. And, and again, it, so many things start to line up beyond swimming that this is, it's a, it's a bigger decision, I think, than, than the people that are against it give the athletes credit for. Uh, but I also see what you're saying with this, that, um, again, it's it just it's so much, I think, to put on student athletes, just to know the, the legislature behind how to request a transfer, how to get out, what you can do to get out. Um, you right. know, when, when's you're eligible? Like if a person shows up day one on campus, they're like, I don't want to be here. As soon as they go to class, well, that's, you already, you know, you've already triggered a lot of events you can't control anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to transition, but before we get to that, I just want to mention the magic five, um, the magic com slash the swim brief. Both Joel and I, we, we got goggles from the Magic Five. They're my daily goggles. I'm getting ready for my meet. Now we're just two weeks out. Um, so I was using them today, trying to get them oriented underneath a cap. Um, you know, I'm doing what the kids are doing these days and, and swimming with a cap now sometimes. I don't know if you're I, – I grew up like nobody – no male swimmers wore a cap when I was – coming up swimming and now now it feels like nobody does so back when you and mark spitz were like deciding who's going to grow a better mustache that was when you decided to buy your cap okay that's right back when me and me and me and old spitzy that's what i call him and uh but anyway magic five been most comfortable pair of goggles i've ever gotten in my life uh i love them and if you go to the magic5.com slash the swim brief uh, you can get 15% off. You can support this podcast, which if you're listening, I hope you like it and, uh, and want to do that. And um, all right, let's get to this world record swim. I, I, can, gonna, I, can, I can open listening, it up because you're like, what, what do we want? What do we yeah, want to talk please about? Do. Like, please do, because I, I need to get the train ready to come out right. of the station it, a little so, bit, Joel. So, so you, you just warm it up, and then so I'll get like, right well, in there. What, what should we talk about? Well, there was this, this world record swim that just went down. And you're like, the Russian. Like, yeah, yeah. So I was you know, looking at it. It looks like a, you know, it's a solid swim. It's like, and then right away, it's like, well, is it a clean swim? Well, I don't know. And, and so right away, like, you know, the disinterest level goes to the roof. And so I, you know, I watched it a couple times. You know, we could break it down. People want to talk about the breakdown of the swim. We could, we could watch it. Um, however, it is it's one of those where, Right away, people are like, yeah, not interested because we don't trust that whole system. And, and so, therefore, it's like um, it becomes Barry Bonds home run where you're all of a sudden like, yeah, I still think Hey Karen's the leader. You know, again, you're like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, not really that interested. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I have evolved on this over the years. I think 19-year-old Chris DeSantis would have been real jacked up about this swim. And I would have gotten on here. I'm glad I didn't have a podcast at then, so people couldn't record me saying things like this. But 
you know, I'll, I'll tell you anyway, I would have gotten on here and said, just because she's from Russia, right, you know, right. innocent until proven guilty, yep. you know, you can't just like generalize right. and blah, 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 blah. I, sorry, I'm more cynical than that now. Mm-hmm. I am. I mean, um, when you have a country that has been exposed uh, as sponsoring doping on the state level, and you have a situation where, like, when was the last time any testing agents from not within the Russian system came in and drug tested anybody in that country? We all know that the drug testing is imperfect as it is, but this is another level of imperfect. We've had basically over a year. I mean, the They've been in a war. You think somebody, you know, somebody from Switzerland is going into Russia and drug testing athletes? No. So we've been relying on Rusada, which like, you know, when I was um, coaching over in Europe and we would go to the European uh, Junior Championships, which Russia just dominates. It's so interesting that they're so, so dominant at the junior level and then it seems to kind of evaporate as they get to the senior level. I, I, I can't imagine how they're doing that. Um, again, that's me being sarcastic because I, I think that they are cynical enough as a country to do state-sponsored doping on teenagers to win some medals at the European Junior Championships. And um, they're, they're, they're ruining people's lives. But, you know, so, so people will also cite this and go, well, you know, she's, she's young and she was real fast when she was young. Sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. Um, I, I don't think that we can trust a swim from there as, a, as above board. And, and we debated pretty hard, you and I, whether we were going to like do a breakdown of the swim. But I guess and right up to the start of recording mm-hmm. this. And I guess where I landed is because I've been having this conversation um, offline. You know, there'll be a lot of people out there where they'll be like, I, I want to use a science-based approach to training or doing some in sports. And then you'll see like, Oh, what's their, what's the science based on? Oh, well this, you know, study that um, the university of Belarus conducted in 1985. I'm like, yeah, okay. So that was probably a study done on doped athletes. Like I, I, I think, you know, like what can we base that on? Right. Like, um, it's actually a criticism I have of Herbie Beam. We've, we've, we've been very praiseful of ASU on this, but Herbie Beam's been real public about like, he has like a bookshelf of old Soviet sports uh, resources. And I just think like that stuff's kind of tainted. Like, how is that going to apply to people who are not on PEDs? Like, does it, does it, is it really valid? Is it really valid for us to, if we suspect and and I and I feel like I have enough evidence to suspect if we suspect that this swim, um, you know, was done by a doped athlete. Like, what's the point in breaking down her technique? Gotcha. <laughs> what's the point? I guess is sort of where I land. I, I think there's what I like about all swims is just kind of looking at what what can we take away from this swim, and what could I take away from this athlete that, that might apply to an athlete that I coach. And again, there's, there's elements in there. I think again, when you, when you break down the principles of movement or you break down the principles behind it, then a lot of the methodology, a lot of things like that, it isn't as important as just 
what are the, the key key points that she hits on? And, and so that's something we could, we could hit on. But kind of going to your point as far as, I think there's just so much that comes out of this as far as, you know, the politics that go into sport. Um, and, but also in the science sport, you kind of touched on both things. I think the science and sport part of it is, that, you know, there's a phrase that's called dead reckoning where it's like nautical where when you're kind of lost, you kind of assume where you're at and then you're going to start to fix your, you know, your course based on where you think you are, which might not be where you actually are. And right. so I think a lot of our data, ours being the United States, ours being the world and things like that, the data goes to, you know, what we used to think about strength and our strength was just about the muscle fibers and not the interaction of the muscle fibers, not the interaction of the nervous system, not the interaction of different levels of strength and power, hypertrophy and things like that. And so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff when it goes to data, it goes to like, well, what did like Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilders type do? And like, well, that was more about physique, more about what it looked like to be strong and strength would come with that, obviously, rather than what it's going to be like to be an athlete and strong, which is, you know, similar, but different. And like you said, is an athlete that was, you know, enhancing, um, then, then obviously their recovery pattern is a lot different. And so you're like, well, then a lot of this data is off. And it used to be where you just kind of, you could see, you know, we grew up, I grew up in the eighties and those, those people that were, they were tainting, tainted, you know, they're basically using, they're using anabolic steroids, things like that. You can tell right away. And it worked for women because, you know, the, the balance, the strength, all that wouldn't throw you off in swimming. Guys weren't as much into that because, Again, you could lift yourself right out of a bunch of events. You know, you couldn't be a distance swimmer on anabolic steroids. But now, obviously, drugs have gotten to the point where, you know, there's, there's so many different things that you can help recovering on and help enhancing and helping improving on. Again, it's crazy. But once the, once the world organization becomes in doubt, then there's a doubt on everything. And it becomes the, the troll boards of swim swam in the world and things like that where we just start casting stones at everything because there's so much doubt because no one is taking, ch- taking charge, taking over saying, this is, this is for sure, uh, the, the illegal swim, you know, cause, cause if someone came out and said that you can't really do that. And right away, and I was just thinking as you're talking and it, you know, this is one of those, I'm afraid to say on the internet because you know, I get a nasty emails, but like, you're absolutely right. In the United States, we're right away thinking, well, that person's cheating. It's from another country. They're cheating. I know they're cheating. It's like, well, they might not be. However, it seems like for sure it's like, all right, someone from Great Britain had a world record swim. Are they cheating? Like, right? No, they're probably not cheating. You know, from Japan, no, they're probably not cheating. Australia, probably not cheating. China, yeah, I think they're cheating. You know, again, it's like we've already created this bias in our head of what, what countries are definite cheaters, what countries could be cheaters, and then, oh, no, we're not. But again, you, you know, with Balco is in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, just because the media is more concerned about Barry Bonds than he is about a swimmer that might have gotten something there, you know, we don't hear about American athletes doing it. But again, it's not a Matt. Matt Biondi was a Balco and, client, and again, it's this is like never heard this discussed in the sport that's of still, swimming. Matt Biondi was a Balco client. It's just soul. like it sail hurts pass. me in my soul to know that too, and I try not to remember. But again, it wasn't like it was a state-sanctioned thing where we're all going to dope. And so, again, what we need is obviously that there's got to be stronger standards internationally. But it kind of even goes to the minor thing of like if we, uh, you know, if if we do wrong, if you're guilty, what do you need to do? It also kind of gain trust back. And on an individual level, it's always like transparency. I did wrong. 
I did this, I did this, here's what I'm going to do to clean up moving forward. And basically a place like Russia needs to go, you know, we were cheating. We did this, we did this, we did this. This is what we're going to do to make sure it'll never happen again. It's like, would you believe that then? Like, still probably no. Again, I, I think the damage has been done. Yeah, and they're right. not oh, going yeah, to. Definitely. That's the thing. Is like, I'm trying <laughs> to think, what would it take for people to stop even thinking, ah, again, they're probably cheating. And I, I think it's gotten to the point where there's, there's no going back. I, I, don't, I can't imagine a world where all of a right. sudden people will be like, oh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt like we would an athlete from another country. I mean, I am remembering now that uh, I just looked this up in the background. So the, the, the scandal that was de- depicted in the documentary, mm-hmm. Icarus, right. right? That took place at the Sochi Winter Olympics in 2014. Um, and I can't remember whether, you know, whether there was a lot of contemporary media coverage of it at the time, but I just remember, I do have a memory of being at the 2015 European junior championships and like being at the coaches meeting and they go like, here's this guy, Dr. You know, something, uh, Govich, right. He will be the, um, he's the director of Rusada and he'll be overseeing which Rusada is the Russian anti-doping uh-huh. agency. He'll be overseeing doping controls at this meet. I was like, is that a joke? Like, is this a joke? Are we doing yeah. like this? <laughs> this guy was the head of an organization that, that did state-sponsored doping. And now we're all just going to go to the meet and go, well, here's the fox. He'll be guarding the hen house. Um, good luck, everybody. You know, I hope your chickens yeah. stay safe. Like, I... I it, it, it is it is crazy with this stuff. And I, I do think you're right that I, I also have a heavy degree of skepticism for athletes from other countries. I think if you just accept that, like, for instance, if you if you sorry, I, I think that there is there is logical connection. If you think that um, China with over a billion people in their country and, and if you believe they have a state sponsored doping program like I do and that they are, you know, like funneling athletes into these state programs. And you think that, you know, like all the people that beat them from countries that we like are just because they work really hard and, you know, have positive attitudes. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're full of it because um, the, the, the problem that we have is that the doping controls beyond the structural problem I, I said in terms of Russia having to, police themselves effectively or China have to having to police themselves at the domestic level, you know, unless these people get to the international competition, um, there's, there's nobody else checking beyond, beyond that. We just don't have anti-doping programs that are effective at catching people who are doping. Like, so I think actually, I mean, this will be a departure from everything else I've discussed here, but I think we have to have a legitimate conversation about what kind of doping we can actually inhibit and what we can't. And I think the doping organizations need to be honest about what they can actually police and Mm -hmm. what they can't. And then you might need to have a conversation about where you're actually going to put the line and have it. I mean, it's goes back to the NCAA too. The NCAA had all sorts of rules that they could never managed to police right, right. you know it's, well, it's kind of um, like having being uh being the police and the crook in a sense because where the money is at is going to be on the production of, of 
enhancing drugs and things like that. And then how to make even more money is on the back end that, hey, I'll tell you how to, <laughs> how to catch our, uh, th this drug. You know? And so again, the money is always on the end of su supplementing you know? and not, not on detection. Right. And so basically, they're always going to be behind in that. And the people that would be able to detect are the ones who created the, the, the drugs in, to begin with. And so it begins one of those things where it's win-win for them. You know, they can keep on making new drugs like, oh, you know what? That drug's illegal. Here's how you catch it now. You know, so, so again, they can even dictate. You know, it, it, that's, it's always kind of the ethical question of, of like what is, what is actually you know, illegal, what's not. You know, like I, I remember seeing a video years back where they, they brought up you know, you got Barry Bonds. Obviously, what he's doing is 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 taking drugs. But what about someone that you know, has Lasix? You know, again, you know, Ted Williams didn't have that benefit, and so right. is is that something that is again over the top? And so I think we end up getting mired in our own debate of what is legal, what what's not legal, what should be illegal, what is not going to be this, and it just it, it really diminishes all of sport in general. You know, and and when our own fan base you know the only the swimmers who actually care about swimming don't even want to see some of it it really hurts all of sport and so any kind of tainting like that hurts all of sport because if you know you can't rely on your own swimmers to want to watch a swim or, or to be a part of her like you or i to talk about a swim then that's killing us because it's not like the outside world is going to all of a sudden go oh wow this is really an interesting 200 breaststroke well, I mean, I guess on the other end, here's what I will say, and maybe this is even the most cynical take, but if you say follow the money, like think about who's funding the anti-doping mm. programs. These are, those are um, uh, the people that are making yeah. all the money off of sports. And doping hasn't decreased interest. The, the specter of doping has not decreased interest in sports, right? It's not like people went like, there are... There are people on drugs at the Olympics. I don't want to watch the Olympics anymore. I don't Olympics know about anymore. that. Go, you got keep, keep on going on your point, though. I, I have a, a counter to <laughs> No, I mean, like, I, I think that people, um, you know, want to watch these competitions. They want to see a world record broken, and they want to, you know, see the Because I, I think pushed. track and field ended and, up becoming so mired in, in doping and things like that that I think it lost a lot of, a lot of its viewership. They used to be, like, again, 80s, 90s. Summer Olympics was track and field and swimming. You know, the, those are the two big things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden track and field became mired in doping and things like that. And all of a sudden people, it, again, just didn't seem to want to watch as much. It became kind of secondary. Obviously, you bring in the professional basketball, things like that, and then viewership's going to change a little bit. Um, but I, I think it hurt track and field, and I don't see why. If all of a sudden it becomes where internally we're like, oh, cheat. No cheat. I'm not going to watch that. I, I think that spreads. So again, not to interrupt your point. I'm sorry about yeah. that, but, but I, I think. Okay. Interesting. I think, no, uh, you know, it's good for us to not agree yes, all the yes. time, Joel. Good point. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think that's enough for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want bite-sized positive psychology content, uh, you can go to Christy underscore coach on Instagram, CD swim coach on Facebook. Um, and uh, I upload little clips of this uh, onto Instagram as well um, to bring in new listeners to the Swim Brief uh, family. Uh, thanks to everybody who um, I met out on the road uh, and and heard that uh, you know I was wanted people to say hi uh, who were listeners of the podcast. It is really wonderful to meet people. I, I'm aware that like 
based on our the number of times these things are downloaded, every time we do this, Joel, we're actually talking to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And um, it's just nice to actually meet those people in real in real life. So um, I'm going to be in Denmark next week. So if you're a Danish listener of the pod, you know, and you see me around, make sure you say hi. Um, and but I think Joel and I will still record one from my Danish summer house. Um, and then uh, we'll be back to our normal schedule. Joel, thank you. Thanks for um, for doing all this for, for one more week. And all right. Uh, all right, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Bye bye.